Now let me start by saying I'm thankful both to Andrew Wilson's book, God of All Things, as well as a sermon from Charles Spurgeon. It was very helpful for me in this sermon. The night before Jesus dies, Jesus sings hymns with his friends. It took place in the upper room. It was during Passover, and it was their last meal together. The songs they sang came from the Psalter, the the songbook of the people of God. They would have sang Psalms 113 through 118, probably all of them. Now, these psalms tell the story of the people of God, stories of rescue and deliverance, stories of judgment and vindication. When they came to the last hymn, Psalm 118, they would have sang that right before Jesus is betrayed right before he's betrayed with a kiss, right before he would stand trial and would be mocked and carried his cross to Calvary and died, they would have sung the following. The Lord is on my side. Therefore, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I was pushed so hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. And then at the end, they would have sang, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now imagine Jesus with the twelve singing this song right before the disciples' faith is to become sight. And what does Jesus sing about? He sings about stones particularly on this night. Well, five days earlier, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey as the would-be king, and Jesus quotes this same psalm. He asks the people, Have you not heard it? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, this is the punchline to the parable we just read. It's a punchline about a master who plants a vineyard that starts producing wine. He then leases the winery to tenants and leaves it. At harvest, he sends his servants to collect his share of the profits from the lease, and they kill the servants. One is beaten to death, the other is killed, we don't know how, and the third is stoned. So the master sends more servants And they do the same to them. Finally, he sends his son. Surely, surely they will respect my son, he says. But in the hopes of securing the winery for themselves, they do the same to him. And Jesus asks the question, what will the master do to such wicked tenants? And the people answer, he will kill them and give the vineyard to better tenants who will pay what they owe. And then comes the punchline about rocks. Now, before we move to the punchline, Jesus is trying to let the crowds and the religious leaders in on God's history with his people. The leaders and his people are the tenants in the story, and a great shift is occurring where God's kingdom, all that it is physically and spiritually, is being taken away from those that are rejecting it and being given to those who are responding to it. Now, in Romans 9 to 11 in March, we finish this section that describes this shift a little further down the road, after the cross and the resurrection in the life of the church in Rome, filled with both Jews and Gentiles who believe in the resurrected Jesus, Paul quotes this same text from Psalm 118, the one Jesus would have sung in the upper room, the one quoted on the day he becomes king in Jerusalem. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And in Hebrew, these verses are a play on words. 
A story about a rejected son, the Hebrew word ben, becomes a story about a rejected stone, heaven, which becomes the cornerstone. This cornerstone is the stone laid at the corner of two walls used to bind those two walls together. It's the foundation stone, the capstone linking everything together. Now for those in the crowds with ears to hear, and this is Jesus' mode, by the way, it's as true today as it was then, he or she who has ears to hear will see that the sun and the stone are the rejected Jesus. Jesus is both sun and stone that will be rejected. Now, you, you know this practice, right? The tossing aside of stones. It could be you are picking a rock to skip on a lake or a river. You search for stones and you toss aside the ones that won't skip, that don't look like a skipping rock. Same for building. If you are building a wall or a tower, you will find a rock that can be the capstone and the other rocks are tossed aside. Jesus here in Psalm, uh, Matthew 21, is saying he is about to be cast aside. And yet, the casting aside of Jesus will lead to the highest honor. Now, I want that to sit with us here this morning. The casting aside of the Ben, the Son, will lead to the most foundational stone of all, the heaven, the helping stone. Jesus' rejection leads him to becoming the cornerstone, the helping stone. And Jesus brings this together in this passage. He quotes from two other Old Testament passages beyond Psalm 118 and verse 44. He says, And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Now this comes from Isaiah 8, 14, and 15. This is a prophecy given to the prophet Isaiah. It's about judgment in which a stone is a tripping stone. We've all been hiking, and somewhere along the trail, a rock grabs our toe or the point or edge of our shoe and sends us stumbling for balance. Here, Jesus says that he's not just the foundation stone, but he's also the tripping stone. How can that be? How can Jesus be both a foundation stone, one that gives solid footing, and how can it also be a tripping stone that causes someone to stumble. In the second passage, in verse 44, when it falls on anyone, it will crush him, is from Daniel 2, 34 and 35. This prophecy describes a stone that looks small and unimpressive, but ends up smashing every kingdom and empire of the world. Now, there's three stones here in our passage. Stone one is the rejected stone that becomes the cornerstone or the foundational stone. Stone two is the tripping stone that causes anyone who trips upon it to fall and to break into pieces. And three is a stone that crushes any and all it falls upon. And Jesus in Matthew 21 is claiming that he is all three of these stones. He is the little stone that crushes empires whose rule will fill the world. He is the offensive stone that will cause many to stumble and fall. In fact, this week I was uh, on Twitter and I saw Philip Pullman, the author of dark, uh, His Dark Materials. Uh, he's a noted atheist, but he tweeted the following. If Jesus had been a Roman citizen like Paul, he would have been beheaded and not crucified. And then he asked this kind of sarcastic question. How would the church have managed without 2,000 years of cross-based iconography? Never mind the much greater difficulty with resurrection at, beheaded, at beheading. And many Christians then responded to Pullman's tweet with other tweets, asking him, have they seen the art of beheaded saints through filling churches throughout the, uh, the, the European world? This is how, they said. But for Pullman, 
Jesus' death and resurrection remains a stumbling block, a tripping stone, an irritating pebble in his shoe that caused him to fall, and he is not alone. Maybe you sit here this morning knowing someone else that is tripped up by Jesus. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, even as you sit here this morning, you find yourself tripping over Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ways. Friends, you are not alone. Jesus says this is who he is. He is the cornerstone, and he's also the offensive stone, and yet he is also the stone the psalmist sings about, the most rejected stone that becomes the most foundational stone. This is how Andrew Wilson says it. God comes to earth, offends people, challenges worldly powers, gets rejected by both his people and by the empires of this world, and is then lifted up on a cross, and there dies for all to see, and through this, becomes the foundation stone of the temple of God and is given the kingdom that fills the earth. No wonder he finishes his last supper singing about it. It can be easy to miss this in our world. I mean, we grind stones to make concrete. If you've ever been to the World Trade Center Memorial, they talk about the tons of concrete leveled on that day. We don't think about rocks and stones. If we want a memorial, we take a picture and post it on social media, load load up time hops so we can be reminded every year about what happened on this day or that, or we get a tattoo. But the scriptures talk about rocks. In, In the scriptures, stones memorialize things. We talked about this at the beginning when Jacob had a vision of the ladder of angels ascending on that ladder, going to heaven and earth. He calls the place Bethel, house of God. And what does he do? He marks that place with a stone. It was the stone that he had slept on that night when he had the vision, turning pillow into pillar. Joshua had Israel take 12 stones out of the Jordan to mark their crossing as God's people into the promised land. Samuel raised up an actual word, Ebenezer, a rock of help, so Israel wouldn't forget the Lord who helped him. To this, Jesus says the rocks will cry out when we're left wondering if God is our help. We use the term milestone to mark particular things in our life. Stones memorialize, but stones also build things, right? God, go to the old places and you see stone houses. They, stones were used to build altars and temples and cathedrals. We marvel at the pyramids, and rightly so, and the di- disciples marveled at the temple, and Jesus used their wonder of the temple to exclaim, the temple will be destroyed, and then juxtaposing himself to the temple, saying, it will be then raised up in three days. Most thought he was talking about a building, not realizing that he was talking about himself, the temple which man was to meet with God. Stones are also used for judgment. A heap of stones falls on someone like Achan in the Bible or the king of Ai or Absalom for his betrayal and revolt against his father David. People were stoned. We hear about this in the parable, but stoning was a form of capital punishment. A hailstorm was seen as a divine judgment, rocks falling from heaven. It's why Goliath, after blaspheming God, is struck down with a stone. We also get the popular maxim from John 8, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Throwing stones was a type of judgment. And in the Bible... Stones also seal things. 
A stone would cover a well to keep an animal or person from falling in. They block entrances and exits to keep people in and out. They are security doors. And this morning, what I want you to hear, there is a foundational stone more monumental than Stonehenge, more popular than the Rolling Stones, that helps us see Jesus as the son who becomes the helping stone, from the rejected son to the most foundational stone of all. And it's the stone in front of Jesus' tomb. Matthew talks about it in Matthew 27. The verses are on the screen. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You can have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Chapter 28, Now after the Sabbath toward dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The stone was meant to seal, was meant to be a security system, a door. We read that the stone was great, that Pilate listened to the worries of the chief priests and Pharisees, that Jesus' body might be stolen, making them even a greater fraud than before. So Pilate orders the tomb to be made even more secure. And as the Holy Marys went to the tomb to embalm the body of Jesus, that question had to be hovering over their mind, right? Like, who's going to roll away the stone? Who, who will roll away the stone so we can get in and take care of Jesus' body? The stone that buries the dead, the stone that reads, here lies, born here, died here, may they rest in peace. Who will roll away that stone? This is the question that gathers up the mournful inquiry of the whole universe. The rock lies in the path and blocks all towards happiness. Who can move away this awful mass? Who can roll away this stone? Generation after generation have buried their loves, their friends, their families. Spurgeon says the all-devouring sepulcher that swallows myriad upon myriad. Who could stay the daily slaughter and give a hope beyond the grave? I mean, we've tried, right? We've tried. We've tried to stave off death, to redefine it to something more natural and peaceful. We have tried to dream of a future, future states that make death sound more poetic. We've tried to lessen its sting, tried to make a way beyond the stone. For the, the tomb, the stone was huge. It was stamped with the seal of the law and was guarded by representatives of the greatest power known in the world. What Matthew's saying is death is a great stone. 
Death is the penalty for our offenses against God's law. It is guarded by the curse, the seal of God's righteous vengeance set upon its mouth. How can this seal be broken? Who can roll away this stone? I mean, we've all here tasted death in different ways. In fact, we we still all a little bit linger like zombies walking out of the pandemic. And now there's war and news of bodies, lots of dead bodies. And still, with all of that, people still die from disease. Not anyone in this room uh, doesn't know the, the effect of cancer. There's car accidents and shootings this week. Shootings at a mall, shootings in a subway, shootings in downtown streets. And add to this the growing number who die by despair. How can that seal be broken? Who can roll away this stone? And so as the women come to the tomb, they discover an earthquake, an angel, and an empty tomb. And so, friends, I want you to know this morning, we finish with this, Jesus as Ebenezer. Jesus as the helping stone means a few things for us. First, the stone of death has been removed. The massive door of death has been unhinged, flung aside, rolled away. And saints, those who believe in Jesus, will pass through, but will not be shut into the the tomb of death. The cavern door is open, and nothing will prevent them from coming out in due time. This is what Spurgeon says, As Samson, when he slept in Gaza and was beset by foes, arose early in the morning and took upon his shoulders the gate of the Gaza post and bar and all, and carried it all away and left the Philistine stronghold open and exposed, so it has been done unto the grave by our master, who having slept out in his three days and nights, according to divine decree, arose in the greatness of his strength and bore away the iron gates of the, the tomb, tearing every bar from its place. Friends, Jesus is the crushing stone that by his very own body crushes death. Jesus is the stone that's broken to pieces the stone that's crushed for our sake. He's the sacrificial stone, the the one that suffers our judgment in our place. He suffers death so that the stone might be rolled away forever. He is the stone that is thrown away. And even though he is thrown away without sin, rejected, the rejected stone has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord Christ was committed to the grave as a hostage. He died for our sins. This was like a debt imputed to him, and he discharged the debt due to us on the tree. And Paul says he rose for our justification, the debt being fully paid, finished as he cried from the cross, at the last it is finished. And by rolling away the stone, Jesus completely justifies and rises and proves that all people in him will be completely justified. The stone is rolled back from the door, and nothing can shut that stone to the grave again. The grave is annihilated by Jesus, and now an interest, an interest is, an entrance is made. Like the cross transformed to flowers today, so the grave of despair becomes a vestibule for new heavens and new earth. Second, 
The stone rolled away is a monument to the victory of Christ. It's a monument. It's an Ebenezer stone, a victory that when we are united to him by faith becomes our victory. Death is a vanquished enemy. Christ has defeated it. He is our head, and united to him, we shall overcome it as well. Third, this stone, Jesus says Ebenezer, is a foundation stone. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our Christian faith. It's the keystone. The true Easter egg in the story, right? Like if we know the story, all the things that are hidden in it, that's what we call Easter eggs. Jesus' resurrection is the true Easter egg in the story. If we are dead in our sins, Paul says, our faith is vanity. All great doctrines of our divine religion fall asunder like the stones of an ark when the keystone is dislodged. In a common ruin, they are all overthrown, for our hope hinges upon the great fact, if Jesus rose, then this gospel is, is what it professes to be. And if he has not rose from the dead, then it's all deceit and delusion. Fourth, the stone rolled away is a stone of rest. Notice the angel sitting leisurely upon the stone. The angel sits beautifully, gracefully, breathing defiance to the ceiling of the tomb. It makes the words of Pilate all the more humorous that he thought he could keep the tomb sealed. The work is done, done forever, and this stone will be used no more. It's an unhinged door. It's finished so you and I can rest. So all of us this morning who mourn are invited to come and sit upon this stone. Come and sit on the stone that says, the dead will rise again. All who die, come, come and sit on the stone and see that in Christ, death has lost its sting. Breathe in the defiance to death and heal. The angel will vacate his seat for you and let you sit down in the presence of your enemies. All who are weary, all who toil under sickness and pain and losses of life, come here and sit on this stone. He is not here. He is alive. And he has left the dead no more to die. When Jacob journeyed to the house of Laban, it said he came to a place where there was a well, and a great stone lay upon it, and the flocks and herds were gathered round it. But they had no water, till one came and rolled away the great stone from the well's mouth. And they, there, then they watered the flocks. Even so, the tomb of Jesus is like a great well springing up with the purest and most divine refreshment. But until the stone is rolled away, none of the flocks redeemed by the blood could be watered there. But now, every Sabbath day since, on resurrection morning, the first day of the week, we gather around the Lord's open sepulcher and draw living waters from that sacred head that was struck and water flowed out. So come. All who are weary, heavy laden, Jesus says, come and I will give you rest. How can he give you rest? Because the stone has been rolled away. The stone is also a boundary marking stone. Notice the guards in the story lay dead. They lay as dead men. The women tremble and the angel says, fear not. How could they not fear? You see, you seek Jesus, but he is not there. The stone is a boundary stone between the living and the dead. 
between the friends and foes of Jesus. To the mocker, this stone, Jesus the resurrected one, is a stone of stumbling, but to his people it is the cornerstone, one upon whom life is built. The resurrection acts in the same manner as the pillar which Jehovah placed between Israel and Egypt. That pillar marked darkness for Egypt, but light for Israel. All was dark amidst Egypt's host, but all was brightness and comfort amongst Israel's tribes. On the last day, the trumpet will sound, and all the dead will rise. And some will rise in dismay because they did not believe, and they rejected the living stone of Christ. Do you this morning have life in Christ? Are you one who will rise from the dead in Christ because you trust in this stone? If that is true, you have nothing to fear. The angel comforts you this morning. For everyone else, that stone is a stone of stumbling and judgment. Last, this stone foreshadows the ruin of death. And for this, I want to read from Spurgeon. Our Lord came into this world to destroy all the works of the devil. Behold, before you the works of the devil, pictured as grim and horrible as a grim and horrible castle, massive and terrible, overgrown with the moss of ages, colossal, stupendous, cemented with the blood of men, ramparted by mischief and craft, surrounded with deep trenches and garrisoned with fiends. Like Spurgeon's great, right? A structure dread enough to cause despair to everyone who goeth round about it, to count its towers, to mark its bulwarks. In the fullness of time, our champion came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. And during his life, he sounded an alarm at the great castle and dislodged here and there a stone. For the sick were healed, the dead were raised, the poor had the gospel preached unto them. But on the resurrection morning, the huge fortress trembled from top to bottom. Huge rifts were in its walls and tottering all its strongholds. A stronger than 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 the master of the citadel had evidently entered into it and was beginning to overturn, 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 from pinnacle to basement. One huge stone upon which the building much depended, a cornerstone which niched the whole fabric together, was lifted bodily from its bed and hurled to the ground. Jesus tore the huge granite stone of death from its position, and so so gave a sure token that every other would, would follow. When that stone was rolled away from Jesus' grave, It was a prophecy that every stone of Satan's building should come down and not one should rest upon another for all the powers of darkness had ever piled up from the first day until the end. This is the stone that is proclaimed on the first Easter and every Sunday hereafter. Resurrection Sunday is the eighth day of the week. It's the beginning of a new creation. God created the world in seven days. And on the eighth day, the first day of a new week, Jesus was resurrected. And Jesus is the cornerstone of the new world. 
Jesus is Ebenezer, the helper stone, the stone that reminds us just how far God will go to help and rescue his people. So when Jesus enters the city on Paul's Sunday, Luke says, when Jesus is called Messiah by the crowds, the Pharisees tell him to rebuke them, to which he says, if they were to remain silent, the very stones would cry out. This this morning, you're invited to be such a stone, a crying out stone. Peter, the rock, the one who gave testimony to Jesus as the cornerstone, in his letter calls those who rest upon the rock of Christ living stones being built up into a spiritual house. This is the temple where the presence of Christ resides because Christ is raised, he is present, alive with his people, and you are the living stones crying out, he is alive. And Peter adds, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The shame of death would be forever marked upon our lives and lips if not for Jesus, our Ebenezer, our helping stone. And so this morning you are invited to come once again to him and to fortress your life to his, to make his life your fortress and to be a living stone that cries out the beauty and majesty of our God. Let's pray. God, there's so many um, stones that we have attempted to build our life upon. And death ramshackles all those stones, shakes it to its foundation. And so Easter Sunday is a reminder of the failure of all the houses we try to build. And a reminder that the only stone that remains is Jesus the Ebenezer, the cornerstone, the helping stone. And so we pray that we would affix our lives to his life by faith. That this morning you would call us once again to see that Jesus is truly the one who dispenses of death. The only kingdom that cannot be shaken. The only fortress that will remain. And we pray, God, that you would help us to build our life upon him. And that we would do that in a very simple act of faith this morning by coming to the table and being reminded that you don't give us stones when we ask for bread, but you fill all who are hungry. You cover all who are weary. And you provide rest because you are alive. So let us come to the table with such faith this morning, open-handed, needy as we are. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.